you need to know about the car. Number one, the interior, which you can't see because you're not on the stage, but I'm on the stage and I can see the interior matches the exterior and the exterior color is actually called Elkhart Blue. And of the 23,000 Corvette coupes that were built in 1967, only 1,000 of them were Elkhart Blue. Vintage. That's what I'm talking about. Okay, uh, the things you need to know about this car. Uh, number one, it is really, really fast, and we like that. Matter of fact, 1967 was the first year of three years in a row that Chevrolet offered a speed warning indicator light. So I asked Ed, the owner of this car, I said, so does that mean like you get to tell it when you want the light to come on? I'm like, yeah, I'd never use that option. Okay, so this is a sweet car, you guys. Um, th- th- there were only 3,700 of these uh, that came with air conditioning. Air conditioning was not uh, uh, standard on all of these cars. And um, uh, this car sold, brand new in 1967, sold for $4,300. Today, I asked that it's insured for over 60. And it's on our stage. What? Man, oh man, there's nothing like a vintage car, is there? I mean, it's like cars like this cause you to... series has been that the Word of God is the very same thing. Now, we're living in a rapidly changing culture. And in a rapidly changing culture, so many of us are, are reeling, are looking across our world going, man, who do you trust anymore? What do you look to anymore? Where, where do you turn to find some truths, some principles, some ideals that never go out of style? And so we've been looking all the way back into the book of Exodus to the Ten Commandments. And today is part five of our series. We're concluding our series called Vintage Today. And we're going to be talking about the last two commandments that we haven't talked about. They're actually number eight and number ten in the order. But we're talking about the Ten Commandments. See, when we began our series a few weeks ago, we talked about how God wants to be number one in our life. And that's a vintage truth that never goes out of style. In week two, then, we talked about how our approach to God is a vintage truth. That that even right down to His name and the way we schedule and order our week matters to God, and it's a vintage truth that never goes out of style. And in part three, we talked about how valuing people, how we approach people in our world is vintage, and it never goes out of style. Last week, then, we talked about trust, and how even though we might look at at two of the Ten Commandments, like murder and and adultery, that the reality is, it really comes down to a hard issue of trust, doesn't it? Do we really trust that God has a better plan for our life than we can come up with? in whatever area that would be. Well, today as we conclude our series in part five, we're going to be looking at commandment number eight and commandment number ten. And we're going to be talking about one final vintage truth that comes from the Ten Commandments, and that is this, that contentment is a vintage truth that never goes out of style. If you have your Bible, turn with me to the book of Exodus. If you don't, that's okay. The verses are going to be on the screens around me. And I want us to start in Exodus chapter 20, looking at verse 15 and verse 17. And I want us to see in Exodus chapter 20, these two commandments. And we've grouped these two commandments together for a reason, because I think what you're going to find out is they have a common thread inside of them. They have a a common theme. Look Look at verse 15. Exodus chapter 20, verse 15, is the eighth commandment, if you will. And here's what it says. It says, you shall not steal. That's the Eighth Commandment. And then we skip over number nine because Scott talked about it last week. And then we're going right to the last, the final commandment, commandment number 10. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 17, we read the final commandment. Moses goes to the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments, the tablets, the whole deal. Charlton Heston's there. The whole thing was awesome. It was vintage. And so he's coming down, and here's the final commandment God gives him, verse 17. Look at it. 
You shall not covet. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Or his male or female servant. Or his ox or his donkey or his corvette. It's in there. It's in there. Or any other possession of your neighbor's. You shall not steal and you shall not covet. Do you, do you see the similar theme here? The similar thread running through these final two commandments that we're looking at, these final two vintage truths, is wanting what we cannot have. See, when we steal, we simply want what we cannot have on the outside. But what is coveting? Coveting, very simply, is wanting what we cannot have on the inside. Stealing is acting on it and going and getting it. Coveting is letting it live in our heart. And see, what God was trying to say to the children of Israel who had been in slavery for 400 years under a slave mentality in a slave bondage reality. And now through miraculous circumstances, God uses Moses and delivers them out to become their own nation, their own people. And the last thing God says to them is, I want to know, I gotta, I've got to know that when you dig down into your heart, I gotta know that when the blessing of God comes on you, my people, that you're gonna be able to be content with what I bless you with, that you're gonna be able to be content with what I give you. And see, I believe that the same vintage truth that was true thousands of years ago for the children of Israel is true also today for us. Because the reality is we've all been blessed, haven't we? We've been blessed more than the whole world. More than the whole world. We live in the richest, most blessed, most materialized nation on the face of the planet. And I believe that the vintage truth of what God said to the children of Israel thousands of years ago is true for us as well, and that is that contentment is a vintage truth that never goes out of style. But it's hard, isn't it? It's, contentment's one of those things that's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, think about it. It's like, like, there's this like, there's this thing in us, isn't there? Like some of us right now got this thing like burning in our heart, don't we? Looking at this car, we're like, I got to get up there. 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 You're, you're like, right? I mean, there's like this thing. We're like, I want it. I want it. I want it. I want it. Right? It's, there's this thing. What is that? Well, that's what I want us to talk about. And to do that, we've got to rewind the tape all the way back to the beginning of the story, the book of Genesis. And if you're taking notes there in your bulletin, you can fill in a couple of blanks. The first one is this. See, I think when we start talking about contentment as a vintage truth that never goes out of style. We've got to understand that our satisfaction meter broke when sin entered the world. It's like all of us have a satisfaction meter, don't we? And see, when you go back to the first few chapters of Genesis and you find the story of God creating the world and the land and the water and the separate and the deal and the thing and the animals and Adam and Eve, the whole deal. When we, when we peer into Adam and Eve before, prior to the fall, what do we discover? We discover that they were perfectly content. They were perfectly satisfied. That they're living in like this paradise garden of Eden, this most amazing place. They, they're completely satisfied. They're, they're naked. There's, there's no, no qualms. Nothing's holding them back. They're in perfect relationship with God. It says that they walk with God in the cool of the day. I'm envious of that. Yes, the being in relationship with God, but the fact that they had the cool of the day. I'm like, when does that happen? <laughs> when do we get some cool of the day, Lord? When? November. That's the answer. And so here are Adam and Eve, and they're perfectly content. 
And then Satan comes and he starts to tempt them. God says, hey, by the way, there's one tree, don't touch it. And Satan comes and he starts putting questions in their mind. And he's like, why? Why doesn't God want you to touch it? What's the deal? What's God's problem? What's going on? He knows you'll be like him. And so sure enough, Adam and Eve eat from that tree and they fall. And sin entered the human race. And from that moment on, our satisfaction meters as a human race broke. They got busted. And from that moment on, for thousands and thousands of years, the human race has quite literally been in a human race to acquire stuff, to to get the next biggest, the next newest, the next brightest, the the next most shiny. The the human race for thousands of years when sin entered the world, our, our satisfaction meter broke and we have been in a human race to get and to get and to get and we're living with this constant, this constant discontentment in our hearts. It starts in kids, doesn't it? I mean, we don't, no, 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 no parent has to teach their kid, okay, now, Johnny, when we go into this store, you're going to see some things that you don't have, but you really want them. So when you go in, you just cry and you whine and you throw a fit. Okay, no, we don't have to teach our kids, do we? They just, they walk in, I want that, I want that. Right? <laughs> so they just do it. Well, what is that? That's their satisfaction meter that's busted. It happened to me. You guys, so I mentioned this a week or two ago. That one of my New Year's resolutions was I wanted to start working out and getting healthy. And so eight weeks ago, I started. <laughs> I may be fat, but at least I'm slow. <laughs> so, so I was actually running on the treadmill this week. And, you know, at the gym, we, Sarah and I joined a gym and the deal, and they got the ESPN and ESPN News. And then there's, like, infomercial channel. I'm not sure why we have infomercial channel on at our gym, but apparently they do. They deem that that is what people at the gym want to watch. So, like, this two-minute, like, infomercial, I can't even hear it. You know, the sound's off. It's like I got the music and the thing and the run and the deal. And all of a sudden, I see this infomercial, and the guy's just... You know, he's just, oh, you can tell he's selling his product. And he's like, the slap chop. Anybody seen the slap chop? Okay, listen, I'm just saying, anything with the word slap and chop in it, I got to have one of those. I got to have one. And I'm running on the treadmill, you know, and all of a sudden, because my wife's been like, you need to eat better and the thing, and that's the deal. And the complex carbs, that just seems a little too complex for me. But the whole, anyway, 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 so this is not about you and your marriage right now, Matt. This is about... Slap chop. So, anyway, plastic little cup, right? And the lettuce and the fruit, and the guy's like, slap, 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 slap. And he whips it out, and it's like a fruit salad. And I'm like, I'm going, I gotta have me one. And, and, if I call in the next 10 minutes, I get two. (laughs) Seriously, I'm like, who's got a phone? I need a slap chop. Four minutes ago, I didn't even know slap chop existed. Now I need two of them. Why? Because our satisfaction meter's broken. But staying in this line of satisfaction, think about it. Isn't it true that unsatisfied people are the most miserable people in the world? Ever know anybody like that? Maybe somebody that, that they've been blessed, like materially. They, I mean, they've been blessed. They got all the stuff. But when you talk to them, they got this edge to them. Well, you know, I just, they just released a new model. Yeah, well, my house is nice, but, you know. What happened? 
Why are they so miserable? Why, why is it that unsatisfied people, right now all of us are thinking of a face in our mind that reminds us of, of a quote by John D. Rockefeller of the 1920s who, who was a billionaire entrepreneur and a reporter was interviewing John D. Rockefeller and he looked at him and he said, Mr. Rockefeller, how much is enough? And Rockefeller looked back and he said, well, that's easy, of course, just a little bit more. See, the game of more is an addictive one, isn't it? The game of more in our culture will suck us in. More money, more power, more prestige, more notoriety, more fame, more women, more men, more this, more promotion, more possessions, more cars, more whatever. It will suck us in. And some of the most miserable people on the planet are miserable because they've given in to the addiction of the more game. And they've allowed themselves to be unsatisfied. Ever fallen into that? You know what I'm talking about. I mean, examine your life for a second. And we, we, we walk in, you know, we get a new place, and then we walk into our friend's place, and a couple weeks later, and we're like, oh, man. Gosh. They have better countertops. Did you see their cabinets? Beveled. Ours are flat. I thought the Lord loved me, honey. You know, right? I mean, we do this, don't we? It's the petty stuff. It's the silly stuff. Why? Why? Because we've somehow unknowingly, as humans, entered into the more game. So what's the answer? What do we do? Well, I believe the Bible is clear that the answer... It's contentment. The answer is contentment. Looking at our life and being able to say, I'm okay with what I have. I have what I need and I'm okay. I'm content. See, here's what I think. I think that contentment is a spiritual discipline that we do not spend enough time on in the local church talking about. We spend a lot of time around here, you know, talking about prayer and how we, we encourage you guys, a spiritual discipline of prayer, and make sure you're spending time with God every day and, and reading His Word. We've got soap guides for crying out loud. You know, and this is the chart. Read a chapter a day and spend time and journal and the whole thing, and we've got space on our website. Listen, I believe that contentment is just as big of a spiritual discipline as prayer or Bible reading. I believe that's true. And I think that's why God said, to Moses, you got to get this contentment truth into their hearts. Matter of fact, this is so cool. In First Corinthians, or I'm sorry, First Timothy chapter six, which is our soap reading for today. Crazy, crazy! I created the soap guide six months ago, and today is First Timothy chapter six, where Paul is writing to Timothy to encourage people who have been blessed, who are rich in this world. And in verse 6, look at what he says. Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, if you got a message for people who've been blessed like crazy, make sure they understand that godliness with contentment is great gain. Notice what the verse doesn't say. It doesn't say godliness is great gain. I've never seen this before until this morning. Never. Godliness, what is that? Imitating God, being like God, doing, doing God-like things, attempting to live like Jesus lived, obey the commandments of Jesus. That's how we would define godliness. Watch what he says. Godliness in and of itself is not great gain. It's not enough. Godliness with 
Now you're getting somewhere. That's like a free soap right there. Right there, go home. You're just like, I got it. Isn't it interesting that the final commandment that God gives Moses when he's taking this people who for 400 years were in slavery, delivers them out, wants to create a new nation. Isn't it interesting that the last thing God says to them is, you gotta make sure, Moses, that people understand that when they become my people, when I start blessing their life more than other nations around them, more than other people, I gotta know, Moses, that they understand the reason why I've blessed them. I gotta know that when my blessing begins to come on my people, that they're not gonna be looking across at the other guy's house going, he got more than me. Isn't it interesting that that is the last thing that he wants Moses to communicate to the people? The last vintage truth is, listen, you gotta get this contentment thing in your heart. So how do we do that? How do we live contently? Well, I want to give us three practical things, ultra-practical things real quick about how we develop the spiritual discipline of contentment in our life. And then I want to share my heart for a couple minutes on a personal level. How do we live contently? Number one, if you're writing these down, determine how much is enough. Number one, determine how much is enough. When I was in junior high school, I think, I remember my, my mom and dad we were living in Indiana, born and raised in one town, one, one house, the whole deal. I remember my, mom, my, my dad coming home and talking to my mom one day about an opportunity for a promotion. And he was telling her, you know, it's a, different, it's a bigger title, it's a bigger salary, and, and you know, it's moving up in the company and that dad worked for. And I can remember them, them talking about this and wrestling with this, and I don't even remember the details. But see, the, the one caveat of the whole promotion thing was that we'd have to move to like Iowa or something crazy. And I can remember my mom and dad coming to the conclusion that at some point in your life, you just have to be willing to say, enough is enough and I'm happy. And as a kid, I'll never forget that. And it was so powerful for me. You know why? Because the majority of our friends were better off materially than we were. They had lake houses and they had boats and we'd go up and we'd go inner tube and on their boat and we'd stay in their lake house or they had bigger swimming pools and bigger houses and more property than we had. My parents were living smack dab in the middle of being the little guy among the big, more material, whatever, friendships that they had. And yet somewhere in their heart, they, they paused and they said, at some point... You have to draw a line and determine enough is enough. This is the standard of living that we feel comfortable living at, and we're going to stop. And I believe that it is just a good discipline for every American family to have this conversation. Because, see, I believe that until we do, until we, as as married couples, as single people, get with your friends and say, how much is enough? How big of a house do we need? How nice of a car do we need to drive? How much is enough to be content? Because until we drill down on that issue, we will forever be running on an uphill treadmill that never ends. And we will run and we will run and we will run and we will chase and we will chase and we will chase and we will ascribe and we will ascribe. We will try and we will try and we will push and we will push and we'll stress and we'll stress. Why? Because I gotta have a little bit more. 
That's the glory of, of establishing a standard of living and, and being willing to say, I'm okay right here. Enough is enough. I'm content. The glory of that is, number one, you can figure out the cheapest thinking way to live at that level, which is kind of where my wife and I are at. We've kind of established the standard and we're like, this is great. Let's figure out how to do this cheaper. The second thing is you can begin to engage in the greatest gift that I believe God has ever given to humanity. And that is the joy of giving. See, if we're always chasing, if we're always chasing, if we're always pursuing and striving, then guess what happens? We never have enough to help the guy down the street who lost his job. We never have enough because we're pushing and pushing and striving. But when you establish a standard of living and then be like, listen, anything over that is just blessing fund. And we just get to give it away. We just get to be a blessing to people. Isn't that what the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be about anyway? Shouldn't we be the most generous people on the planet? Shouldn't we be the bailout plan? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. What? What? Here's a second practical thing. If you want to develop the spiritual discipline of contentment in your heart. Number two, practice Discipline with your purchases. I love this. Put in, put in place a mandatory waiting period on all big purchases. It's like buying a gun. Mandatory waiting period. Hey, we're looking to buy a new couch. Great. Wait. 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, whatever. Put a mandatory. Some of us need to do that for like $10 purchases or more. Because we're like, every time I go to Target, I just want to spend, spend, spend. Okay, maybe that's not you, but that's me. My wife's like, wait, <laughs> mandatory waiting. Easy there, trigger. <laughs> you know, they see me coming into Target. They're like, oh, yeah. Here come the red shirts, you know. They... Look, here's what you'll find. If you put a mandatory waiting period, some, for some of us, we'll find out that 30, 60, 90 days from now, we didn't even really want that anyway. Others of us will find out that it really was like a gun. And that it was actually something that could have done our spiritual life amazing harm. Here's another idea with this practicing discipline. Wait for, wait for whatever it is that you want to go on sale and then buy it. Again, this is, this is the cookies on the bottom shelf stuff. This is, this, is, this is way practical. Like if you want a new $200 gadget, refuse to pay $200 for it. Wait for it to go on sale for $160 or whatever. And then watch. You want to get really creative, really fun? Watch this. $200 gadget, wait for it to go on sale for $160 and then give the $40 you saved away. Well, think about it. Like if you wanted to buy something for $800 and it goes on sale for $450, clearance sale, blowout sale, going out of business sale, you're like, praise the Lord. Well, what'd you do with the other $350? Because you would have paid $800. It existed a minute ago. Where did it go? We don't think like that, do we? Here's another thought with this practicing discipline. Say no to some things forever, forever, and sacrifice instead. There are some things in my wife and I's life that we will never own. We will never have. We just, we won't. We're just like, you know what? We just really don't, it just doesn't matter to us that much. No, we just never will. Some of us need to say no to some things forever, forever. And even if someone gave us some of that, those things on that list for us, we'd sell them. Because we just, we just don't need it. That's just not, not going to be who we are. 
Here's a third thought, practically. How do we develop the spiritual discipline of contentment in our heart? Number three, celebrate the prosperity of others. Force yourself to celebrate the prosperity of other people. When they get a better car than you, celebrate it. And if you can't celebrate it, dig down into your heart and figure out why. Because the problem is not with them. Don't be doing the whole justified thing of like, well, you know, I'm just a human being, and well, Matt said my, meter, my satisfaction meter is busted, so let's just be busted. No, 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 no. Find out what's going on in you. Do you think God loves them more than you? Do you think it's unfair? Do you think God's grace, that his justice is being unfair because they have a better house than you? Or a better car? See, don't just take no for an answer. Dig in and figure out why you can't celebrate somebody else's blessing. We don't do this, do we? Instead, we carry around this unsatisfaction, this discontentment in our heart, and it's killing some of us spiritually. A few years ago, Summit Church, which is an awesome church down in Estero on Ben Hill Griffin, was in their building program, and you guys hear us, we champion a ton of churches in our community. But the guys at Summit are knocking it out. We meet with them once a month or so, and we get with them, and they work out at the same gym Sarah and I work out at now, so we see them, and these guys are great friends. Well, a few years ago, they were in their building program, and if you haven't noticed, we're, we don't, this, isn't, this isn't really a church. We actually let the school meet in here Monday to Friday. It's a cool arrangement. It's a cool arrangement. They're cool with that. We don't let them put stuff on the stage, but, you know. Um, and a few years ago, they were in their building program, and I woke up one morning, and I was praying. And I was praying for the churches around our community. And I started praying for Summit. And God just put his finger in my, on my heart, and he, he just whispered, whispered to my heart, and he said, Matt, you're jealous of them. You're jealous of their story, you're jealous of their journey, and you're jealous of their building. So you know what I did? I felt so impressed of the Lord that he spoke to me and said, give. Give to their building fund. Why? Because you can't be jealous of something you're a part owner of. If I was part owner with Ed of this car, it'd be crazy for me to be like, Ed, I'm so jealous of you. Why? Why? You're part owner in it. So watch this. We're part owners. And every life that has changed at Summit Church this morning, of every small group that has started, of every leader that has trained, of every marriage that has saved, of every teenager that has reached in Estero and Naples, because they have a Naples campus as well. Why? Because we're vested. And when you're vested, when you're a part, when, then you get to celebrate and that's how you know that true contentment lives in your heart. When you can celebrate someone who's blessed materially more than you are, now you're getting somewhere. And if we can't celebrate, then it's up to us to dig it out of our heart. See, I believe that this contentment issue, you guys, is, 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 is a huge one. I, I just, I want to take a minute or two. I'm going to sit down for this. Um, because for about the last 18 months or so, God has, been, has put me on a journey in this whole issue. Um, I was having lunch about a year and a half ago with a, a pastor here in town who's a, a mentor of mine, a mentor. 
And at lunch, for about 15 minutes, I was just was pouring my heart out and just sharing with him, you know, this is what our vision, and we see multi-site, and we want to take Next Level Church into those communities, and technology gives us the ability to do that. And just all around, you know, just telling for just go on and on and on. 15 minutes, it's all about me. Just, just telling him what we were doing, our vision, our strategy, the whole deal. And at the end of the 15 minutes of me kind of going on and on about me, he looked at me and he said, man, Matt, you know, that sounds awesome, and I love your strategy. I love, your, I love how you're thinking. I think God is in that. But can I ask you a question? Jesus commands us, and his face in this question are burned in, in my mind, because he said, Jesus commands us to not just reach lost people, but to love the poor as well. And he looked at me in that, at that lunch table a year and a half ago, and he, he said, what are you doing about the poor? What are you doing about the forgotten ones? What are you doing about the ones who are the forgotten of our city? The, the ones who are, who are discouraged and downtrodden and below the poverty line. And I, I just remember sitting there being just convicted like crazy and I hem-hawed about, well, we're going to... And for the last year and a half, guys, I've been on this journey where God just keeps bringing this question and issue up. What are you doing about the poor? It was Jesus in Matthew 25, verse 40, who said, whatever you do for the least of these, it's as if you're doing it for me. Last couple of days at the end of the week here, I was able to go to a, a two-day leadership conference at this guy's church, as a matter of fact. It was a video thing. And the whole theme of the conference was, was all about this idea that we in America, we in the American church have been given so much. We've been blessed with so much. And as I sat there, you guys, for two days, the conviction of God was on me, and the Lord just kept speaking to my heart. Matt, when are you going to understand how much you've been given? When are you going to begin to own the responsibility of leading a middle to upper middle class church who has been blessed like crazy? And when are you going to own the reality that you're not doing much? Whatever you do for the least of these, Jesus said, you do, it's, it's, it's as if you're doing it for me. Friday morning I was soaping and I was reading Matthew 25 and I, I wrote down that verse, verse 40, and as I'm journaling it out, the, the Lord just, through the power of the Holy Spirit, just brought to my memory four years ago when I was in the Dominican Republic. And one of the things we were supposed to do that week was to go into this mentally handicapped children's home. And our job was to go in and paint some flowers and some sunshines and some rainbows on the walls because these mentally handicapped Dominican children were, were the forgotten of the world and they were left in this home and this home took care of them. And so for hours every day they would sit in a hallway and the people who ran the place thought it would be nice if they had some rainbows and sunshines and flowers to look at. And I remember going into that place and sitting in that hallway with about eight or ten of these mentally handicapped children sitting there in a row on chairs. And I knelt down beside this one girl and I, I sat on the floor. 
I just began to talk to her, and she didn't know what I was saying, but she was smiling, and she was happy, and I just began to weep. I mean, weep like I've never wept before or since. And I wept because here are the forgotten of the world. We're in a forgotten city, in a third world country, in a children's home. You can't get more forgotten than that. On Friday morning, I'm soaping out of Matthew, and the Holy Spirit speaks to my heart and says, Matt, let me ask you a question. What if that day four years ago when you were in the Dominican Republic sitting face-to-face with a little girl who didn't speak English, who couldn't speak at all, who was mentally handicapped, and you prayed for her, and you loved on her, and you smiled on her, Matt, what if that was the finest moment of your life? What if you will never again be as close to Jesus as you were that day on the floor of that hallway? If it's true that whatever we do for the least of these, we do for him, if that's true, Matt, then how would that change the priorities of your life? Congratulations, Matt. You and your wife just joined a gym last week or last month and it costs about 30 or 35 dollars a person to be a part of this gym congratulations matt how's your gym because on friday i got to hear the the president of compassion international speak at this conference and some of us know what compassion international is it's a worldwide ministry where where affluent people like us can adopt children for 30 or 35 dollars a month and as i'm sitting there in my home office soaping about this 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 moment in time where god says what if whatever you do for the least of these is your finest hour what if you will never be closer to the face of jesus than that and i felt convicted and the lord said matt how's your gym because for 35 dollars on yourself That's great, and there's nothing wrong with joining a gym. But what are you doing for the kids in Africa? What are you doing for the least of these? Because for $35 a month, Matt, you can provide clean water and food and clothes and an education. You can save a life for $35. How's your treadmill? Do you still want to complain that they're too close together? Guys, I'm just telling you, as of today, as of now... We as a church are entering into a new time and a new day because we've been given so much. We got to get this contentment thing figured out because yesterday morning we knocked on 500 doors of families and children who don't even have enough money to keep the lights on, the electric on, who let alone pay for air conditioning. And we knocked on 500 doors yesterday and handed them a flyer and said, next Saturday, we're throwing a back-to-school block party and we're giving away free backpacks. Guys, I'm telling you, it's a new day. Because we've been given so much and yet we're doing so little. Why are we doing the backpack giveaway? Why are we giving away 5,000 backpacks in five locations? Why are we doing this? You know why? Because it's not about the school supplies. 
If you could have stood next to me while we knocked on doors yesterday, you know what you would have seen in the faces of children when we handed them a flyer and told them we were going to give them a free backpack and a hot dog? You'd have seen the faces of hope and joy. Guys, we've been given some lunch. We've been given some lunch. We've got to get this contentment thing figured out, don't we? So I'm inviting you to join me on a journey. And I don't know what this is going to look like. And next week, we're going to talk about it again. We're launching a new series called Shuffle, and it's going to be sweet. Because I think that contentment is a spiritual issue. So here's, here's what I want to do. I, I want us to close our time together with, with some prayer because I know that there are probably many of us who right now the conviction of God is just all over you like, like God's been all over me. And I just want to invite you to respond to that. Some of us, we've been addicted to more and more and more for all the wrong reasons. And God wants to break that off of some of us today. So here's what we're going to do. I've asked the worship team to to come and Mike. and I, I want us to sing that song that we've been singing over the last few weeks. And as we do, I hope that just in this moment, the stillness of this moment, we would just begin to let the Holy Spirit of our God just begin to marinate our hearts. So would you just across this room just pray with me, God, right now we just pause in this moment. In the stillness of this moment, we get out of the way and we say, Jesus, you have permission, ultimate permission to do whatever you want to do, God, to wreck us for lost people, to wreck us for poor people, to wreck us out of our complacency, out of our lack of contentment, out of our desire for more, God, our addiction to stuff. God, would you rock us? That we might be fully abandoned, fully surrendered to you and your cause and your people and your love, God. God, you have permission.